These past few weeks, we've been talking about the, uh, after our series in Romans, Romans is a magnificent letter that Paul writes, and the majority of his letter, chapters 1 through 11, he's talking about making uh, what God did to make us right with himself, to solve this uniquely human problem that we cannot make ourselves right with God. We've got too much junk in our lives. And, and frankly, the world's a mess. And God has done all these things for us, in us, as us. His Son dying on the cross for us, living a perfect life for us. He did all of this so that we could then engage with our world, the world around us, with confidence, tell them the gospel, share with people what the hope is that Jesus Christ holds out. We want to do this with the migrants. We want to explain to them, you know, God has brought you here for a reason. Now hear this and then share the faith with them. We've got two wonderful churches in Juarez that are doing that. Uh, they're migrant centers from Terra de Gracia and I forget the name of, of uh, Rene. What is it? Todos Cristos? Solo Cristos. Okay, so we have two churches that are housing migrants and holding services. So we, we have the opportunity to do these things. And this is why once you receive Christ, once you become a Christian, you don't just go up to heaven. The reason that God has left us here is for us to be salt and light to the world around us. And that's what we're doing with this series, just briefly, up until summer, and then we're going to do something else over the summer. So in your, in your Bible, or in your uh, bulletin, there's a, a harmonized scripture, same we read last week at Easter. I'm going to read it again today, and we'll just talk about a few things very quickly. So now hear the Word of God. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so the most, the topic that Jesus spoke about most in the Bible, in the four Gospels, well, the three, particularly the first three, but John not so much, 
the kingdom of God. His parables were around the kingdom of God. Much of his ethical teaching was around the kingdom of God. And the folks in that era understood what the kingdom of God. It was the restoration of God's place in Jerusalem and to set a king, an heir of David, on that throne and to manage the the national and the national interests and to expand that kingdom into the rest of the world. Now, that was their understanding. Nobody was confused about that. And so Jesus is telling parables that all support that idea. But he left out a lot of things. He left out the part about the military, having a huge military and chariots and arms and taking over and combating and kicking out the Romans. He never taught. In fact, he was very, very complimentary about the Romans. Give them their taxes. Let's be nice. Let's do what they want. Let's get along. Don't use the sword. Let's not fight. All of those things. He was not a threat to the Romans. The threat was to the church, to the people, religious people. They were the ones that Jesus threatened with his message because they saw the kingdom as power. If we can get regain our power, then we can regain our place in the world, our status, our righteousness, our justification for living. We can, we can have all that if we can just restore our national identity. But that was not what Jesus had in mind. Not yet. And so I told you last week, and I hope this is so important, that the church has always had an odd relationship with this idea of the kingdom of God. We tend to conflate them and say the church and the kingdom are, are uh, coexistent, they're the same thing, and therefore whatever the church does, the church should become a powerhouse, political powerhouse. We should, we should try to gain power and get out and take over and have uh, a national identity and things like that. That, that, that fell to pieces. We, were, we knew right away that it wasn't going to work because we saw it fail for hundreds of years in the Roman Empire and the church's relationship with the secular nations and in the eastern part of the which is where my heritage is eastern orthodox i was raised in the eastern orthodox church the antiochian diocese that's the original one i'm probably the only christian here (laughs) well you get the idea i mean these uh, church the church started getting uh, enamored with power, political power, both east and west, and it was a wreck, a train wreck. Because church and kingdom are not correlative. The church, simplest way to understand this, the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign over all things everywhere to the end of the universe and all over the earth. But there's another aspect to the kingdom of God, and that's a narrow aspect. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. The best way to understand the church, though, is not as the kingdom, but as an embassy from the kingdom to the kingdoms of this world. 
So the church is an entity, an alien entity that has made entry into the world. Jesus came down into the world as a human being. Dr. Walke calls it eruption, I-R-R-U-P-T-I-O-N. How'd I do? Did I I spell it right? Eruption, not eruption like a volcano, but eruption, a breaking in to the creation. This is what we saw with Jesus Christ's birth. His life, his, his death, his resurrection. He broke into creation, into the kingdom of this world as the King and the Christ and the Messiah, the, the Lord and ruler of all things from that kingdom. And he comes down here and then he commissions, which was what we're looking at this morning, he commissions his servants, you, me, all the apostles, everybody from ages, to be ambassadors of that embassy. The kingdom of God Jesus is there. He's on the throne. He is ruling all things. He's not a king in absentia. At the same time, there is a period now that we live in where the kingdoms of this world still exist. And there are reasons for that. We'll talk about it in a minute. And Jesus wants us to represent him and his kingdom and expand those kingdom values, push them out into the world in opposition to the kingdoms of darkness. So let's talk about three things. Let me give you, this will help you, I think. There's three aspects to the kingdom of God. The inauguration of the kingdom, the continuation of the kingdom, and the consummation of the kingdom. So let's look at these three. I'll try to help, you know, just help us all get our head around it. Because listen, this, understanding this, without this, if you don't have this concept of, of ICC or the one I gave you last week, already, not yet, if you don't plug those into your thinking, Christianity just is, becomes irrelevant. Because it just doesn't look right, doesn't fit right. But if you put these in, this is what Jesus expected us to do to look at his words and be able to deduce from that what the world was like and then to go out and engage that world. So inauguration. This is what I told you last week. The already not yet aspect of the kingdom of God. Look at those first few words. Lord, this was their question. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus' answer was, not for you to know. So what did he say? What was his message? No, I'm not going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Not yet. Okay? Not yet. So the kingdom, right away you would have been thinking, if you were them, and listen, they struggled with it. Up until the time these original apostles died, they were, they were thinking Jesus was going to return at any moment. And when they realized that he wasn't going to return at any moment, they started writing letters. And those letters told the churches, live like he's coming tomorrow, but also live 
in a way like maybe he doesn't come for a million years. You see the wisdom in that? Live like he's going to come tomorrow. But also live like it may be a million years. Because this gives us the, 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 the balance, I don't like to use the word balance, but it gives us the integrity as a human being to live with expectation and hope for the long haul. So that when suffering and hardship and heartache comes into our lives, when disappointment, when the country goes off the rails, when money is not worth anything, when your body starts to fail, when your kids go off the rails, when your marriage falls apart, when your, when your job dissolves, that you're still okay. Now, you're not just stoic and, you know, tie a rope and hang on. No, you can be hopeful at the same time, fully and completely mourning the loss of things, the darkness of things, the hurtfulness of things. You can do both, not somewhere in between. It equips us, folks, as Christians to be unique. This idea of the already not yet is extremely powerful in your life. So the kingdom has a broad sense. I already told you what that is. He's king over all things. Jesus is on the throne. And there's not one loose, as R.C. Sproul used to say, there's not one loose molecule in all the creation. God is sovereign over all. But there's also this kingdom in a narrow sense, this aspect of the kingdom, that it is not yet. Now listen to what Dr. Richard Pratt said. Richard uh, Pratt was one of my professors at RTS and, and uh, had, had a huge influence on me and all of the students, really, uh, the way Jerem Bars had, has at Covenant. That's what Rich, Richard's part was like then. Listen to what he says. Jesus described this narrower sense of the gospel or the kingdom in this way. Listen. Your kingdom come... Your will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. What kind of a prayer is that? I mean, isn't he the king over everything? Yes. But not yet the way it's meant to be. The kingdoms of this earth are still here. We're still part of this world. And so our prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because it's not yet. It's already, but it's not yet. It's inaugurated. Jesus, when the king came, the kingdom came with him. And the kingdom didn't leave when the king left. He left his embassy, his church, his people here, you and me. And in there, there's theology out there, folks, much of the popular eschatology, end time stuff that you hear on TV and read in popular books, is that the kingdom went back with Jesus and now we're in this parentheses period where, you know, the church is struggling and trying to get along and someday there's going to be a rapture and we're going to get to go to heaven and be up there. Well, it's not what the Bible, the Bible never says we're going to go up there. He's coming down here. If you die before He comes, you will go up there and wait. Then you will come back with Him when He comes here. Yes? Can I get a... Somebody say yes, please. Ugo. 
Yes. Absolutamente. Absolutely. Yes, you'll go to heaven when you die, but my goodness, you're not going to stay up there. He's coming back. And He's bringing the new Jerusalem with Him, and we're all going to be in that new Jerusalem. It's going to be so wonderful. It's beyond anything that you can imagine. God's holiness and glory in His heavenly throne room is so overwhelming that creatures there honor Him, listen, with unqualified voluntary service. On earth, however, creatures rebel, refuse to acknowledge God as King. Evil kingdoms rise up to oppose God's kingdom. The hope of Scripture presents is that this disparity between the kingdom of heaven the heavenly throne room, and the earth will be eliminated. God will judge the wicked and bring redeemed humanity into a new creation. When this transformation takes place, not yet, when it does, only God's kingdom will stand and voluntarily, voluntary obedience to Him will extend to the ends of the earth as it is in heaven. Do you get the picture, folks? They asked him the right question. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And kindly, Jesus didn't slap saying, Are you st- what's wrong with you guys? You haven't been listening? Now, I do that sometimes to you, but th- he would never do that because he's a good person. Your pastor at times, I don't know, not too good. So he was very kind. He said, no, not at this time. No, not yet. Because he was going to give them this commission, go into all the world. No more Israel, all the world. We're not just going to go back to a piece of real estate in the, in the near ancient Near East. That's great, good. We pray for Jerusalem, the peace of Jerusalem, all those things. But it's more than that. It's Jews and everybody else. All the barriers, I'm going to break them down. And your job is to go out, your job, church, is to go out and start breaking down those barriers and bringing light. The Border Initiative is a perfect example of the church as an embassy. Our little ministry, this little thing that Max formed and and, and is overseeing and that, that our couple churches in our presbytery, very small. We have the smallest presbytery. I think we have, what, 11 churches or something? We're one of the smallest presbyteries in in our denomination. We took on a job that is impossible. Max has said from the beginning, it's impossible. We just have to pick our battle and go in hard, go in strong on, on the individual things that we can do. We can't fix it all. But what we can, let's go in. Let's go in hard. All the way. No holding back. And that's what we do. Just our little point of the spear. Uh, President George Bush said, what it was, a thousand points of light. You all remember those things, right? They're just simple metaphor. We're, getting, we're just going to make what little impact we can and trust God for the rest. This is exciting. We are the embassy of God. We are the ambassadors. We are the warriors that are fighting a bloodless war. 
a war of redemption, a war of sacrifice, a war of service. And at times the church has done a wonderful job and at times we have done an abysmal job. And there is no balance. Listen, you're not going to find a happy place. You have to get off the continuum, as I've said over and over again. You've got to go up into this this gospel mindset that the kingdom of God is in our hands now, this narrow sense, and we need to get busy and extend the kingdom. We are the embassy. Extend light. Give, give one person a cup of cold water, one person a piece of bread, one person a word of encouragement, one day a year to volunteer. How'd I do? How'd I, I wove that in pretty clever. Aren't you? Are you all impressed? It's not part of my sermon. This is coming from pure genius. All right. What are some other parts? Let me do, very quickly think about this. The border initiative is kind of easy to understand, but what, what about just regular? How do you live your life with a kingdom mindset, with the idea of evangelism? What, what is our, our role in evangelizing our world? What about corporate worship? This is also, it's like the embassy. We meet together on Sunday, one day in seven, to enjoy each other's company, hopefully, uh, to hear our song, sing our songs, pray our prayers, take our sacrament, uh, hear God's word to us, to feed upon Him in our hearts by faith, to listen, to be encouraged, to be instructed in how to go corporate worship is part of bringing the kingdom that's not yet, or the kingdom that is, into the not yet. It's our way of just putting out one beam of light, corporate worship. Then there's personal worship. Evangelism includes the time you spend at your home with your family, reading the Word, praying, thinking about the Word, meditating, all of that. Those are works of evangelism. You're not sharing, you're not testimony, you're not being a witness verbally, but you're spending time conditioning, massaging your heart, your mind, your, your interior being to be, to be outward focused. What can I do? What can, where can I suffer for Jesus? Where can I give way? What rights can I give up for the sake of another human being? These are not easy things, folks. They take time. They take thinking. But it's our way of being evangelistic, preparing our hearts so that we're conditioned to be thinking out instead of in. What about living under, God, under the Lordship of Jesus? Just something as simple as that, which is sometimes very hard. In other words, obeying Him, for goodness sakes. He, he gives us very few things. I mean, it, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is not a feeling. I've been telling you for weeks now, love is not a feeling. It's a choice. You're just choosing. You know, there are some people I don't like. Now, I never would be anyone in this room. But maybe over in this side. Maybe it's, 
What about you, hermano? Hugo, <laughs> always pick on him because he's a good sport. You know, you know I, I don't feel mushy and, and you know, sentimental towards people. I choose. I choose to love my wife. I choose to love my kids. I choose to love. And I, I then act in certain ways that, that should propel me, even if I don't want to. They're moving me in a certain direction. And I expect God, because He redeemed not just my soul, I'm not just born again in my spirit, He rejuvenated all of me. I have a new mind. I can think differently. I can choose differently. I'm free to love. I don't have to. I'm free to do it. I'm free to choose who to love. My enemies, people that hate me, people that that do bad to me, betray me. I get to love them. That's not easy to do, is it? But you can orient your life. You have the freedom to choose. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are free to choose to orient your life around Him and let Him become the driving force of your life. And then the last one I'll mention is just a lifestyle of faithfulness, your presence. This is evangelistic, folks. Evangelism can be knocking on doors or holding crusades or witnessing to people at work or leaving tracks. It can be all of this. But it can also be just being a faithful presence. Randy Pope says, where you live, work, and play. This is what we teach our journey guys in the discipleship course, in the, in the ladies too, ladies discipleship. To be a faithful presence wherever you live, work, and play. And that as we look around us, we're going to meet people who are across the street, our close neighbors, across the tracks, our poor neighbors, maybe in another neighborhood. In fact, if you cross I-10 from this side to that side, you're in a whole other world. If you go just around the mountain, another world. If you go out there where New City is, where Jeff and, and Al, uh, Matheson are, that's like landing on Mars. And they come over here and they think that they've died and gone to heaven. <laughs> That's how different things are across the tracks. And then across the oceans. You know, we don't have to cross an ocean, for, folks. We have seven, well, there's seven border crossings right here. You can go across any one of those bridges and you can be in a mission field. You, cannot, you would have to travel thousands of miles to go somewhere like is right here almost within a stone's throw. What an opportunity. Unbelievable. So all of these, what I want to encourage you, all of these are evangelistic. All of these private things we do, these public things we do, are faithful presence, letting people know, you know, I'm working on my marriage. My marriage is not that great, but I'm working on it. I'm going to try to save it. Yeah, my husband is an idiot or my wife is, you know, a spoiled brat. Whatever. My kids are this. I'm working. I am not going to give up. And I'm trusting. That people will ask you, well, what gives you, the, what gives you that kind of hope? Then you can share with them. You know, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I go to the best church in, in the United States. <laughs> it's things like that. You get it, folks. I mean, it, it's you being objectively proactive towards the world out there, not just laying back and letting stuff roll over you but pushing back 
with the weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds that are in the mind of the unbelievers. So we're not to cut their throats or pull out their fingernails to get them to believe. We're supposed to address the strongholds that have them captive and start pulling them down. It's awesome. Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. This is when he, asked, he was asking his disciples, Who am I? And Jesus said, You are the Christ, the Christos, the King, the Messiah, Mashiach. You are the King. That's what he said when he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's saying, You're the King. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, truly, you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. By the way, Protestants, this is all in the singular. He's talking about Peter, not some abstract idea. Because Peter was the, the, the quintessential representative of the church. Okay? It's beautiful, actually. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Why? Because I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. You and all those that will be part of your, your group, your disciples, and your disciples' disciples, and your disciples' disciples' disciples, your children, the promise is unto you. Why do we baptize our babies? The promise is to you and your children. We recognize this con continuity and necessary continuity of the kingdom of God and that we have a place in that kingdom. So that's the inauguration and I've used up all my time so I'm going to stop and I'll come back. Can I come back in a few weeks? What do you think, Google? All right, I'm sorry, y'all. I have, I have, this outline is just too beautiful. I can't spoil it by trying to rush it. The inauguration of the kingdom. When I come back, we'll talk about the continuation and the consummation of the kingdom because this is these two things, continuation and consummation, are what give us our hope. Listen to this. I'll give you this final quote by Peter Hoon. This, this uh, guy was a, a great theolo Methodist theologian uh, and pastor. Jesus Christ, listen, Jesus Christ continually contradicts us in the way that we experience ourselves as alive. And he compels us to radically redefine, this is what this is all about, radically redefine what we mean by life. He encounters us the way he encountered the disciples on Easter Sunday. They were the ones marked out for death. Those who survived him were really the dead. He, the dead one, was really alive. You see, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of a resurrected king.
who has given you and I new life so that we can continue to represent him in this world. Will you trust him? I hope you will. I'll come back and finish in a couple weeks. Yeah? Thank you. Father, thanks so much. You're, you're <laughs> these things are so amazing. I don't know how we can even sometimes talk about them, but thank you. Thank you for making us ambassadors for your kingdom, for equipping us with your blessed Holy Spirit. And now we come to you, Father, humbly. We ask you that you would feed us in our hearts by faith as we come to your table. In Christ's name, amen.